We were delighted to be joined today on The Peaks Life by Lindsay O'Sullivan. Lindsay is a seasoned strategy and operations executive who has worked in Australia and the UK. Lindsay is currently the Chief Operating Officer at Keystart Home Loans, a $6 billion specialist low deposit and shared ownership home lender. Lindsay's also held key leadership roles at the Chamber of Commerce and Industry WA, Bankwest, Herbert Smith Freehills and National Australian Bank. Lindsay's managed geographically diverse teams of up to 800 people, advised on trade and investment and innovation policy, had full profit and loss responsibility for a $100 million enterprise and driven the transformation of legacy businesses. Lindsay is a previous Business News 40 Under 40 winner and a Leadership WA alumnus. He's the Director Chair of Fringe World Festival, the Director of IT Consultancy Vive Group and a Committee Member of Catholic Education Western Australia. More importantly though, Lindsay is a husband and a father and he's also a rugby player and road cyclist. On this episode of The Peaks Life, we're not talking to Lindsay about his executive career. We talked to him about the health crisis that stopped him in his tracks 10 years ago, made him rethink the priorities in his life and refocus his attention on his health and well-being. This is the Peaks Audio Experience. Welcome everyone to The Peaks Life. Um, I'm Lynn Fernie and with Mike Warren. And today we're joined by Lindsay O'Sullivan. So Lindsay, welcome to The Peaks Life. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Great. So um, we're going to dive straight in, if that's all right with everyone. And um, I think for the benefit of our listeners and the people watching um, the vlog, um, Lindsay, can you just give us a bit of an overview of your current role? Yeah, well, my day job is Chief Operating Officer of a business called Keystart Home Loans. Uh, Keystart's a specialist home lender. We uh, act in a bit of a niche in the market and we help um, people who can afford a home loan but otherwise are dealt out of the market because of the difficulty in saving the deposit of mainstream lenders. So a fairly unique business that um, that helps people get into home ownership market by providing a low deposit as low as 2% and not uh, having the customer pay for the lender's mortgage insurance. So that helps um, a lot of people get into the market. Um, my role at the business is, as Chief Operating Officer is um, I mean, that's just a title. What I do day to day varies, but um, primarily my role is, is, is to look at the strategy of the business. So I've, I've been there for three years. Um, I was brought into the business really to help with the transformation of the way the business operated. Been around 30 years, very innovative, but it, um, it was time for some change and getting the business ready for the future. So it's been designing that strategic plan, getting that lined up with all the um, other leaders within the business and ensuring we get board support. We had a new CEO start partway through that and he was very supportive and, and allowed us to get on with it. Um, and then I'm, I also run, a, an, and over the, the three years I've been there, I've run various different teams, but um, a combination of operational teams, customer facing as well as um, behind the scenes and uh, corporate shared service areas, including um, procurement, um, facilities, HR, um, the project and change areas of the business. Cool. So, um, Lindsay, just just listening to to what you do, uh, we know what it's like as an executive, especially in in the position you're in. You're going through, you know, a change project. Uh, they're always pretty stressful. 
Um, you're also, you've got multiple teams in reporting into you, including um, high stress teams like customer services. Now, you know, what we're interested in is, is as an executive dealing with, you know, those sort of changes, um, those sort of teams, that effectively that stress that you face every single day, the, the responsibilities, the obligations, how do you manage to, to get a balance and, you know, what are the challenges that face you in the wellness area as an executive? Look, I think the, the thing that I've learned over the years, and I've learned the hard way after hitting a brick wall uh, about 10 years ago, um, was the idea of work-life balance is a lie. Uh, <laughs> no such thing as work-life balance, there's just life. And as with, you know, strategy, um, as with anything, it's life's about a series of, of making of compromises and trade-offs. So you have to have a pretty clear understanding around what's really important to you and then understand and be comfortable with the trade-offs that you need to make in order to be able to have a happy and fulfilling life. And you said, Lindsay, you said you hit a brick wall about 10 years ago. Are you happy to share a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I'd, I'd worked for, for a business that had um, a lot of money to spend. We were growing a... Um, building a new business um, within an existing one and challenging uh, the incumbent industry with a, with a new operating model. Um, it was a really exciting time. Um, went through the GFC, that business, its owner um, succumbed to uh, some of the, the troubles of financial crisis at that time, sold to another, another owner. Um, we got through that and I had an opportunity to move into a new role. And in that new role, it was something I hadn't done before. It stretched me really um, significantly. I worked for a, a quite a challenging boss, um, probably the hardest person I've ever worked for. Um, and my way of dealing with that was just by working really hard. Um, and working hard doesn't necessarily mean working smart. Uh, I, was, I was working out at the gym, keeping fit at that point. Well, I'd never been fitter in my life at that point. Um, and, um, but it all came crashing down when I, uh, I started the week with a bit of a cough and ended the week sitting in a car park crying because I was so sick. Um, another week later, I was unable to get out of bed. Um, another week later, I was coughing up blood, then diagnosed with pneumonia, hospitalised, um, came out of hospital a couple of days later. I was back to the doctor because uh, my fingers and toes had started to become numb and I'd started to become paralyzed on the left-hand side of my face. Wow. I end up with a condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is an autoimmune condition, which uh, your, your immune system attacks your, your nervous system. Mm. Um, I, got, I was very lucky, um, as, you know, if you can call that lucky. I was lucky in that I didn't, it didn't progress as far as it can do, um, that condition, so it didn't go into my torso and affect my breathing and respiratory system, but um, I was very, very ill. I lost a significant amount of weight, about 10 or 15% of my body weight in a very short amount of time. Um, and the lessons from that was, um, was I had no recovery in my life. Uh, there was no point in time with, I had young children, I working very hard at this job, was a very stressful trying to um, meet the expectations, which may have been unrealistic and and um, I, I never let go. I wasn't getting enough sleep. Um, there was none of that rest time for your body and your mind to recover. And uh, it took me probably two years to really psychologically recover from that. But um, it changed my life quite significantly as a result. I want to say significantly, uh, you know, 
you know, I, I'm, I, my life still looks very similar, but my mindset and some of the things that I do and, and my attitude towards stress is very different now than it was 10 years ago. You know, th- thanks for sharing that, Lindsay, because I, you know, I think that your story there is very typical of many executives. Not everybody gets the same, you know, the same outcomes, but I think in one way or another, there are so many executives who have their corporate face. You know, they've got the family life, which is busy, especially when they've got kids growing up. They've got the executive life, which is busy. Um, they've got a lot of demands and stresses on them. And so all these people are relying on them. And they've got to be the strong one. You know, you've got to, you know, you've got to put on that work mask. And as you said, you just end up working harder and harder and longer and longer. And then something eventually gives. Um, you, and I think one of the really important things that you said there was that your mindset changed. Can you just tell us a bit about what it was that you had to do, <clears throat> changes you had to make in your mindset to, to turn your life around and make sure it didn't happen again or you didn't regress? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, I've always had, I've always been an optimist, I'd have to say. Um, and I think an optimistic mindset, as long as it's realistic, is is a way to go. I think the the difference was that I came to the conclusion, and part of this might be to do with um, age and maturity. You get to a point where you have um, a degree of understanding of what your own skills and skills are. Um, but I, I came to the conclusion that there's nothing, there's no problem I could face that wouldn't have a solution. And if I had a problem that didn't have a solution, there's no point stressing about it anyway. Um, <laughs> um, so, I, look, I don't let things kind of really um, bug me as much. You know, I realise what's really important to me. My wife and my family, my kids are, are really important my broader family, my happiness and staying fit and well is really important. So the the attitude became about, well, look, there's no point stressing about these things. Stress is a decision. It's not something that you have no control over. Um, and so I, I made a few adjustments um, in the way that I worked. And, I, you know, I think the other really important thing is to realise that, um, you, as I said at the start, earlier, you, you have to make some compromises and trade-offs and understanding that um, sometimes okay is good enough. Um, you know, perfection is per- perfection is the enemy of done and getting things done. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty pragmatic around, you know, sometimes just enough's good enough, um, mm-hmm. except for the really critical things. You know, there's some things we've just got to get absolutely right and you can't afford mm-hmm. to you know, take shortcuts, but you can't expect to be able to do everything at the same level all the time. Number one, because you don't need to. And number two, something's going to break. So either mm. your health's going to break, your relationships are going to break, or your work will suffer. Mm. Yeah. So, Lindsay, how do you, as a, as a senior leader in an organisation, how do you take that philosophy and that, um, not the work-life balance, because you're right, it's his life, but how, how do you transpire your philosophy to your team and make sure that the team don't suffer the same hard stop that you suffered because they pushed themselves to the limit? Uh, look, I think there's a few things. One is um, early communication around my expectations um, and then then leading by example. So if people see me working 20 hours a day and getting really worked up about things, then they'll think that's the way I expect them to work. Mm. Um, I generally don't 
communicate with people outside of hours um, or have an expectation that they should reply. I think there's a lot of people who are connected 24 seven mm -hmm. and it's okay to wait, you know, eight or 12 hours yes. in mo most circumstances um, yes. for a response. There are times when, you know, when you've got something really big on and you've got to be working those hours and, and do things outside of, outside of hours, you just let everybody know that that's the case mm -hmm. and it's going to be temporary in nature. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the ways. Um, another way is um, whenever they want to do something, um, I say I normally say yes. And those things are, um, yeah. and I, what I tell people is I don't care how many hours they work in the day as long as they get the work done. And, they, mm -hmm. and as long as they don't, um, they're not making a joke of it, you know, um, and taking advantage yeah. of that particular way of working. Um, I don't, I don't clock watch. I don't see what time people are there. Leaders have got to be visible to their people. That doesn't mean they're visible, you know, 10 hours a day on the floor with everybody else. Um, it's about being smart about it. And I think the other thing that I, where I add some value is because I've had the misfortune of having a crisis for me to learn that lesson. Um, mm -hmm. I share that openly and then I monitor and keep an eye on, on people's wellbeing. Mm -hmm. um, in, so I make sure I'm having one-to-one -one meetings with, each of my direct reports every single week as a minimum. Obviously, we're, we're talking more regularly, but every single week there's a formal sit down. And one of the questions I ask is, how are you going? Yeah. While they're balancing things. I think, you know, you're right. As, as a leader, it's about role modeling behavior and then, you know, checking in with the team and, and looking for those signs that you might not see easily, what, you know, asking the right questions. One of the things I'm curious about, um, Lindsay, is, with your autoimmune condition, what were the changes that you had to make? Apart from the, the mindset, what other changes did you need to make in order to get that under control so that you could return to, to things as normal? Um, well, the particular condition, there's, there's no cure. There are some treatments. So there's this blood plasma treatment, which kind of tricks the immune system into stop attacking the, the nervous system. So that worked for me. Um, and then... I think the I was very fortunate to work with a performance coach, a guy named Andrew May, who's based out of Sydney, um, and he I, we monitored, put monitors on, monitored over a couple of days what my body was doing. It gave us a good picture of how um, how little sleep and how poor quality my sleep was. Yeah. So I made some adjustments to the way that I work, switching on devices at least an hour before going to bed, trying to go to bed at the same time. And you, know, you don't always get it right. And there are times when I've, you know, I don't, I don't sleep huge numbers of hours a day, but that's not because I'm working. It's just because there's lots of other stuff I'm doing. And, and um, I've got a son who's a rower. So he's up very early in the morning cycling. So I do in the morning. So there's a, you've got, you know, I'm not getting eight hours of sleep a night, but I'm monitoring that and, and keeping a close eye on it. Um, so those things were, were, were the data and the information made it easy to understand what was going on, what I needed to do. Um, I'm pretty sensitive with my diet. I don't, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not crazy about fad diets or trends. I just eat sensibly in a good balanced diet and then blow it every now and then. Um, I try and manage alcohol intake, but I, I you know, if I want to have a drink, I do. Um, mm. So it's just about being sensible uh, around those things. Mm -hmm.
So do you notice in your circle of um, other professionals, other executives, maybe not in your organisation, but in the, in the same sort of career path, do you notice there's a trend for people to um, be more conscious of their wellness or is it something that still is forgotten until the career ends? Then they turn around and go, hang on a second, I've focused on my career, but now I'm too unwell to enjoy the fruits of my labour. Well, look, I think there's a big generational change. Um, certainly um, men and women my age tend to be a little bit more, I think, generally tend to be a bit more focused on on a balance. Certainly men um, and fathers are spending more time involved in their with their in their children and and trying to rebalance the inequality the unequal distribution of domestic yes. um, responsibilities as well um, which means you've you've got to spend more time at home mm. um, so I think that's certainly my close friends we share some of those particular you know values um, but I don't think it's universal I think there are still plenty of people out there not really they're focused, they're chasing other things. You know, I'm not, I'm not chasing um, huge wads of cash. Some people are. And so that's what their primary objective is. And, and for some of those people that involves working really, really hard. Um, mm. But I, and I see plenty of people and if that makes them happy, great. Um, I also still see plenty of people who um, are, are physically unwell. So they've put on a lot of weight, a lot more sedentary, and you start to see the impact that has on their on their definitely their well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a bit hard to you know when you've got close friends and you can see um, you know some of the decisions they're making and you can just say that's you know at some point that will if it doesn't impact their health it will impact their their old age or their lifespan. Um, mm-hmm. And I, one of the other things that's probably probably worth mentioning is that that really drives me is um, I married my wife 21 years ago, and when I married her, I promised to live to 100. Um, <laughs> and my wife, my wife's the kind of woman you don't break a promise to very lightly. Um, that also drives me each day. <laughs> it's in the contract. <laughs> so, Lindsay, give us a, a snapshot into your day. You, you've mentioned that your son's a rower and you're up early doing that. You also mentioned a little bit about your cycling and your um, your passion for other areas when you, in, your, in your biography. Walk us through sort of, and the reason we ask this question is because we know that successful executives often have quite a robust routine. You've mentioned your sleep is not necessarily yeah. where it needs to be. So walk us through the day in the life of Lindsay and what are some of the wellness tips that you would give to others? Yeah, so so the, the day starts the night before, obviously. Um, I probably would go to bed between 10 and 11 each night. I'd okay. probably spend, when I go to bed, I spend a good half an hour to an hour reading. I find reading, um, I love reading and I read books voraciously. Mm-hmm. I generally tend to avoid nonfiction. I only read fiction because you've got to feed the soul as well as the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, mornings would normally be waking up pretty early. Four or five mornings a week would be up um, at between 5 and 5.30, um, getting my son to where he's got to go. Or then in the summer months, I go to the gym once or twice a week. Um, and then I've only in the last oh, 12 months, um, 18 months, I've started to cycle a bit more. So I do a couple of indoor sessions um, uh, a week and then on the road once or twice a week. Um, you know, I'm not... Um, is part of the cult, but I do I do get into. I've started group riding in the last twelve months to find that really good fun. 
the indoor sessions are incredible for fitness in a short amount of time. So I only need to dedicate 45 minutes to an hour for those and I get a lot of, um, a lot of fitness gains from that. Um, and the road sessions are a good exercise and technical, but also just good fun and enjoyable networking with people and, and talking to them. Um, so that would be the mornings. And then I would head to work sometimes during the, the school terms. It'd be two or three mornings a week. I'd take the kids to school. Um, they can get themselves to school now. They're high school, but I, I, yep. I do. Not that I tell them the, them this. I'm not sure they don't see this uh, particular podcast. But um, <laughs> I, I do to school just so I've, even if it's another 15 minutes spending time with them in a in a, an enclosed environment. Sometimes you you know with teenagers they don't um, talk a lot. So it's sometimes I get a few minutes in that, which is good. And I'll head into work. I'll be at work about 8.30. The work, work's very variable, so it just depends. I don't generally tend to have a long lunch or anything like that. I'll grab something on the run. I might spend 15 minutes doing that. Um, and I'll be home by, um, I mean, fortunate, I'm very fortunate that work is close to home, um, but I'd be home between 5.30 and 6 each night. I'd probably do some work at night each night. Um, that's clearing out emails. I don't like having a... Um, you know, the, the unending email um, inbox. Yeah. Um, I find it's quite um, irritating and frustrating and also rude if people have emailed you and expecting some sort of response that you don't try and cover that, you know, reasonably quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my day, eat fairly well, um, and that would be five days a week. The weekends, I try to avoid doing any work, um, and that would be a combination of, um, again, fitness, long ride, doing stuff with the kids, socialising, oh. spending time with my wife, all the, the normal house chores that everyone else mm-hmm. has or should should have. Um, and, then, and then you go again. It makes it sound a little bit like Groundhog Day, but there's a lot of, <laughs> there is a lot of variety within those those days and weeks. Um, I do have some other, uh, you know, non-exec and volunteer things that I get involved in as well, and they're, mm-hmm. they're normally on the, in the, you know, a number of evenings a week. Mm. See, you know, from what you've said, Lindsay, you know, you've got uh, you've got a great mixture there of family time, work time, um, you know, dedicating time to your sleep, your exercise. I'm, I'm curious if if you had a, a time transporter and you could go back and you could talk to your 20 year old self, what advice would you give that 20 year old self in order to you know to perhaps change the journey? or, you know, avoid some of the challenges that you've had along the way? Um, I'd probably let him know that he is going to lose his hair. Not too <laughs> um, well, look, I don't know. I think, uh, I think where I am now is a product of all of those, those, those experiences that have happened. So um, I'm pretty happy with my, with my life. You know, is, are there some other things that I would love to have done or um, so far, and I'm still, you know, I don't think I'm that old. I'll be working until I'm uh, till into my seventies or more based on my mortgage. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'd probably say um, just go with the flow, let it happen. Um, you know, I, I am, I, I am perfectionistic. Um, I'm not a particularly good planner. I'm opportunistic. I take it, when opportunities come my way, I've got um, a finely tuned radar that's that's pretty good at picking up whether something's a good idea or not. 
Um, I probably would give myself a, a bit of different financial advice. Um, you know, not that I'm destitute, but there are probably some decisions that you know uh, I made or avoid making at the time that would have been sensible um, to do. <laughs> It might mean I've got a slightly less big mortgage, but um, you know, it, that, that's more probably what I would have said to myself. Cool. I, I think uh, great, great advice. I'm going to sort of look the other direction now. If, if you look at yourself as a leader and you look at leaders around you, and if you were again talking perhaps to another professional, another senior senior leader, um, and you were talking with them about wellness in your later career. Again, what, what do you think is important for leaders in order that their team see them as fit to lead? You know, not, not the competency, not the, um, not, you know, not the work capability. Um, we assume that everybody can, can lead from that perspective, but literally from the health and wellness perspective, being that role model, the person that people can look up to. Um. I think it's probably the same for anyone. I mean, from a, I think there's a combination of things. One is um, uh, the number of hours you're working, not being silly around that. I think there's um, making sure that you're fit. Fitness is a, I, I, you know, I'm too young to know for sure, but I've got a theory that uh, one of the, in particular with a, an elderly mother now, um, that one of the keys to a happy older age is maintaining your muscular strength so um mm -hmm. making sure that that's a component or whatever fitness activity you're doing as well as some you know good good exercise that keeps your heart really healthy mm -hmm. um and the other thing is is people practicing what they preach i don't think any leader can have credibility for very long if they're not practicing what they preach so if they're talking about wellness at work they're they're investing in their own physical and mental wellness mm -hmm. um by having making sure they're having fun, not taking themselves too seriously, um, making sure that they're not um, abusing alcohol. And if they're a smoker, for God's sake, stop. Do whatever you can. <laughs> what it takes or how much money or how painful it is or how much your smoking friends gives you a hard time, whatever you do, mm. just smoking. Um, I think that's really critical. Um, I find it hard to, to take someone seriously if they're, if they're not if, – if, if they're you know boozing every night and they're they're heavy smoker um, and they're talking about wellness, it's also really it's unfortunate that um, you might it's hard to um, listen to the wisdom that they have and no doubt they have they're smoking and drinking doesn't necessarily stop them from being wise, but it might mean it's harder for people to hear the message. Absolutely, absolutely right. So Lindsay, one of the um, one of the areas that's a real hot topic and a focus area in the wellness community is sleep. You've obviously had your challenges with sleep. Um, what are some of the hacks, some of the ways that you achieve the best possible sleep that maybe other executives would say, I could do that and improve my sleep? Yeah, so there's a few things that I learned. One was around turning screens off. So I really try and avoid particularly small screens, watching a bit of TV before, before bed's fine. But, you know, when you're on a, on a, on a computer or on um, a mobile device or something like that, um, getting that switched off. I think there's plenty of science to show that the light that, that gets emitted from those screens can have an impact on, on your quality of your sleep. Um, I uh, have a routine each night. I go to bed roughly the same time. I read before going to bed. That starts to turn 
turn me off and the sleep starts to come. Um, and then a couple of other things I do is I actually wear earplugs. Oh, I've interesting. just thought yeah. about oh, five or six years ago, my sleep quality improved immensely. Wow. So before it would take me an hour to an hour and a half to get to sleep. Um, combination of some of those other things, plus wearing earplugs, I get to sleep within sort of 15 minutes now. Wow. And the depth of my sleep is a lot, um, a lot better. And having a dark room, um, which I think everyone really knows and understands that that's um, really helpful as well. Um, there were times when I was recovering from my illness where music was um, really beneficial going to sleep as mm -hmm. well. Um, as a distraction, as a calming thing to take your mind off it. Um, uh, but that's not to say that it works all the time, all those things. Like there, I still have times when I wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, I uh, will um, go to the bathroom and go back to bed and, and then the mind goes, you can almost feel the trigger go, the mind <laughs> spinning. It's more creative and positive now than it was before. Um, but the, I, there are times when you've just got to go with that. And you know, you're going to have a crappy sleep and the next day is going to be a bit tougher and you, you know, let it happen. So it's out of your system. Absolutely. Other times when you've got to go, no, distract yourself. Um, when I got ill, um, one of the things that helped, I don't do a lot of it now, but every now and then I still do is meditation became, um, was was very helpful um, in starting to get that stillness and recovery. Um, and so if I am unwell or I am um, letting the stress of work get to me or, or letting the external stimulus turn into stress, then, then some meditation, um, uh, you know, meditation or prayer or whatever floats your boat, um, mm -hmm. I found to be really helpful as well. Excellent. Yeah, great, um, great hacks and, and great sleep tips. And I think it's, it is interesting because uh, what we find is is the professionals or the executive group are probably one of the worst groups for working away, you know, keyboard warriors, getting everything done, just one last email, one last report to read. And then, you know, the, the habit is literally to fall from the desk into the bed and probably fall asleep because they're dog tired. But what they're doing as well is they're taking everything from the, the office or the desk into bed because it's still in the mind. So I loved what you said about effectively creating a gap between any work or any other activities and sleep by reading a, a fiction book mm. um, to put you into that, that state of sleep. And the other hack I really love, um, and it's one that, you know, the, that I've used for a long time, is the, the earplugs. I think people don't realise that, especially when you're sleeping next to somebody, you disturb yeah. each other. You know, there is noise, whether it's, you know, a snore, whether it's just, you know, somebody wakes up, they go to the toilet. Um, those noises are really disturbing. And it's only when you get into looking at your sleep, isn't it? You recognize that, wow, you know, I've actually had a really restless night. Put the earplugs in and you've blocked out all of that noise. And all of a sudden your brain can switch off and, and relax and you can sleep. So I think great hacks. Love that. And my wife's been as a result because I disturb her less with my you know, tossing and turning because I can't get to sleep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And gone are the days in the, in the, uh, in the previous days, it used to be a badge of honour to be able to survive on limited sleep. You know, the, the Margaret Thatcher days of do you do four hours sleep a night and now slowly people are realising it's no longer a, uh, such, such kudos to be able to have limited sleep. It's so important. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think you're right. Although there is a bit of a trend, particularly around the 
entrepreneurial startup mm. kind of ecosystem um, around, you know, that badge of honor of, you know, I've jo- and I've seen it even in the last 12, 18 months, people on, on LinkedIn saying, I've joined the four hour movement and, <laughs> you know, it's really stupid, stupid things yes. being proud around, you know, how little sleep they're surviving on. And to be honest, they might be surviving, they're not thriving, and they're going to pay a price at some point. I think that's exactly right. And I think what happens is people, they learn, you know, their bodies learn, they make it a habit, they run on adrenaline, um, and they get by. They just don't realize that in one, two, three, four, five years, that will catch up on them. They'll be so chronically sleep deprived, um, and they will just literally hit a wall and they won't be able to function. But the problem is when you're in the middle of it and you've taught your body, come on, you can do this. It's like going to the gym and over-exercising. You can do it for a while and you feel good for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, a big steel ball slams into your head and you can't do it any longer. Mm. I think people, um, yeah, until they've experienced it, they're not prepared to listen to the the advice. But sadly, a lot of them will be affected by that. Mm. So Lindsay, thank you. For, um, for your insights. There's a lot of people who tune into this podcast who really like to hear it from, um, from other people who live the life and your challenges and your journey and some of the hacks that you've given us. They like to hear things that people are currently doing now that can assist them. So thank you firstly for your honesty. Thank you for sharing your, your wellness ideas and tips and hacks. It's been a really great insight. It has, Lindsay. Thank you so much for that. And um, I think there's a lot of valuable content um, for the people tuning in. Hey guys, thanks for joining us on the Peaks Audio Experience. Make sure you've subscribed and please share the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to tell all your friends it's awesome, it's amazing and inspiring. And send us your hot topics to cover on a future episode. For now, have a great Peaks day. (laughs) 